0: Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to seek God's presence and serve God's people. Now, let's get to the message. So I'm gonna continue the sermon series by any means necessary uh, by going to Matthew chapter 28. So, Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. You probably know where I'm going when you hear me say Matthew chapter 28 because that is the chapter that contains one of the greatest commandments to us from Jesus. Matthew chapter 28 verse 16 through 21 is where we're going and that is the passage of scripture known as the Great Commission. Matthew 28. When you're there, say, "I'm there." I'm there. If you're not there, it's okay. We got the screen queued up for you. You can read it along with us. If you don't mind to stand for the reading of the word, we want to honor God's word together and read out loud together as a family. All right? So, let's do it together, verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. Now, you want to pay attention anytime Jesus goes to a mountain. You always want to pay attention when you see Jesus show up on a mountain because it was during the temptations Jesus was brought to a mountain. One of the greatest messages that Jesus ever gave was the sermon on the mountain. It was up on the mountain. When Jesus was transfigured and the Father spoke, this is my son, listen to him, It happened on the Mount of Transfiguration, right? When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified on the Mount uh, called Golgotha, or the Mount of the Skull, right? So we see here in this moment that Jesus is now on a mountain, and he's gonna give us a really, really important message, verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. All right, we're gonna get into that in just a little bit. Verse 18, and Jesus came, And said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. To who? How much? Hold on, wait. How much? All. So, how much does the devil have? It's just a good reminder. Verse 19 Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And he was talking about 2022 when he said that. You know what that means? Jesus is with you right here, right now, as we read his words. Today, I'd love to try to hit the Great Commission from a different perspective, I'll try, from the title of this message, which is what Jesus has commanded me to do, okay? And I don't mean me, I mean you, yeah. us, all of us. Yeah. What Jesus has commanded, everybody just take say, me. Me. What Jesus has commanded, everybody say, me, me to do all right before you're seated let's pray together lord we want to say thank you so much for your everlasting word it is always powerful it always works and so today we ask as we approach your word that you would give us supernatural revelation understanding and insight into the great commission and all of its implications for our lifestyle right here right now in 2022 In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated in Jesus' name. All right, so if you had a physical Bible or even if you had an app, when you opened it up to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, there should have been a heading up above verse 16. What did that heading say? Did anybody in here have a translation that read the great suggestion? <laughs> the great option. The big maybe. <laughs> if you're feeling up to the task, if you're inspired, if you're motivated, if you're excited, if you're in a good season. Wow. Right, we don't see any of that. We see the great Commission and to be clear, the commission is a command. Everybody say it's a command. It's very important we understand this because Jesus, who is God, we're all clear on that, right? Jesus, who is God, gives a commission. Everybody say a command to his disciples. Everybody say, "That's That's me. Go, therefore, make disciples baptize, teach, I'm with you forever, right? So Jesus gives that to all of us, every single one of us. If we claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we are a recipient of the command referred to as the Great Commission, meaning we are all now responsible for obeying Jesus and performing the Great Commission to the very best of our ability and according to the grace we've received through Jesus Christ Amen. in our lives. We're all responsible for this. Is this hard already? No, it's good. Because I'm gonna give you some disclaimers and in the last service, I apologized a lot because it got a little heavy-handed at times and you guys know I don't wanna do that but sometimes it just kinda goes there and one of our elders came up and was like, hey, stop apologizing you got to stop that. And I appreciate that. That was Franklin Cole. Of course it was Franklin. you got to stop apologizing. Just, just, just say what God told you to say. And I'm like, yeah, I want to. I'm trying, but I'm also at the same time, I'm afraid. You know, just to be vulnerable. I'm just going to open up with some vulnerability. Is that okay with you guys? And, and here's the reason why I'm afraid. I'll tell you why I'm afraid. I've been preaching this Uh, July will mark 16 years in full-time vocational preaching ministry so I'm excited about that thank you guys so much that's very kind Jesus has sustained me in Jesus name thank you Lord for 16 years I've been preaching and more than any other sermon that I've preached I have preached this more than any other sermon 100 percent with absolute surety I have preached the great commission more than I have preached any other message, all right? I I preach it all the time, still, to this day. I preach it all the time. Obviously not here, but as I'm asked to speak in a ministry school environment or a mission school environment or do a Zoom or uh, go out and, and preach at conferences, a lot of times I preach the great commission because it's a mandate, it's a message that Jesus has given all of us, but just I feel individually Uh, a lot of conviction about preaching and declaring to God's people the great commission of Jesus Christ. Now, with that being said, I will tell you this. I approach this passage, especially within the context of a Sunday morning gathering, with a lot of fear. And my fear is this. As a preacher, someone called by God to proclaim truth, my fear is that it would be wasteful. No, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But the reason I say that is because I have been preaching the Great Commission for 16 years. And I have so much frustration in reconciling the Great Commission with the American church. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Which is why I come before you like, ooh. <laughs> Holy Spirit, help us. I feel like I have talked about this forever since I'm blue in the face. I'm going to talk about this for a much longer time. I know that. But, like, I have talked about this, God, and I just don't want us to leave the same. God's Word always makes a difference. And I'm like, Lord, in prayer this morning, I'm like, make it matter. Don't let this just be another Sunday. Don't let this just be another sermon on something that Jesus said once upon a time. Like, let this be real. Let it impact our lifestyle. The Great Commission. So I've had a hard time with this for a number of years, uh, but one of the reasons why I have spoken on this so much is because, just in case you may have not known this about me, I was a foreign missionary for five years. Okay, so some of you guys don't know that part of my story, but I lived in Mozambique, Africa, um, collectively, for probably about a year and a half, and then in Andhra Pradesh, uh, southeastern India, uh, for the remainder probably three and a half, okay? So altogether probably about five years as a foreign missionary and so we talked a lot about the great commission because as a missionary a foreign missionary especially the great commission is like your fuel you know when you get discouraged you go back to matthew chapter 28 and then you remember that lo i am with you always even to the ends of the age like jesus is with me i'm i'm doing the work of god and and one of the things i noticed as a missionary and if you're Do we have any missionaries in here today or former missionaries or you went through DTS at YWAM or yeah, let's give you a big hand. Well done. I need to build you up because I'm about to tear you down politely. Um, But don't think that I'm gonna leave the passive, apathetic, uh, bench-warming church-goer alone either because I... That's why I was apologizing, because there's just something about this message, I can't do it lightly. Jesus spoke it with severity, therefore we have to read it with with urgency. So so as a foreign missionary, um, I read this all the time, I read this with my community of missionaries, and you know what I noticed about uh, being a missionary with the Great Commission? We were the only people doing it right. I just, I just acknowledge uh, I struggle with reconciling the Great Commission with the American church. And as a foreign missionary, I would use this passage uh, to self-righteously proclaim my obedience unto Jesus and call out the disobedience and the pomp of the American church. And it was like, it's so wasteful. They don't do anything right. They're not obeying Jesus. They're not going. Anybody ever heard something like this before, right? Okay, that's wrong. I'm gonna tell you why in just a second. So now I'm a local church pastor in America. Can you believe it? When I was a missionary, I would look at what I'm doing now and say, you are the biggest softy there has ever been. You are obviously in disobedience. Like when we first, like when our church first started to grow a little bit, my wife and I bought a house and I repented. I was like, I have a mortgage. I'm terrible. And then we got a minivan. I have a minivan. Look, I repent for having a minivan. See, because I equated the way in which I would obey Jesus and do the Great Commission was to be poor and to live in a concrete box with no indoor plumbing in the nation of India, serving the hungry and the poor and not using toilet paper. All that's true, by the way. Weird, I know, but that's missionaries for you. So now, I'm, you know, I'm a local church pastor, and now I see the, the, the power of God's house. I see the power of the sanctuary. I see the power of the local church. I, I, I see um, the reality of grabbing hold of the Great Commission and performing it in this context. I see it now. But you, you know what I've also noticed about our community? We're also the only people doing it right those missionaries, man, they're totally doing it wrong. If they'd ever come off the field and get it together, they'd finally be able to obey Jesus and have an impact. And and also, here's the thing, also wrong. And so my experiences have now given me at least a little bit of an ability to speak into both contexts, okay? So thank you for indulging me. But like, I can now speak into both contexts, and I can say, you know what? Here's what I've learned about the Great Commission in 16 years of full-time ministry. We can all do the Great Commission. Because the Great Commission is not about being a pastor, and it's not about being a missionary. The Great Commission is about being obedient. And this is the brilliant thing about Christianity is that it's so capable of being contextualized right down to an individual level. Meaning, what has God said to me? Well, we do have the written word. Jesus has said so much to us. But as I step out and I endeavor to obey him, where is Jesus calling me to go? And to whom is Jesus calling me to go? because I am accountable to see how much of the great commission I can live out in my lifestyle because I am a disciple of Jesus. Anybody else in the room? We're all disciples of Jesus, amen? And if you're not, we'll give you an opportunity to become one here in just a minute. But as disciples of Jesus, we all have the same responsibility, and that is to obey our God to obey our Savior, to obey the one in whom we love. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, here is a real commandment, the Great Commission. So these are just, just, I'm just being vulnerable with you guys. These are some of my own frustrations in preaching this passage. And so even as I was, you know, got up early this morning to pray, I'm like, Lord, let this not just be another day where we just talk about the Great Commission, let us take action on what Jesus has told us to do, each of us, yes, collectively as a community, but each of us individually, amen? amen. Are you down for that journey? Yes. Okay, so let me back up a little bit and look at the context of what's happening. So let's go through it kind of line, line by line. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So what that tells me, or what it suggests to me, is that the 11 disciples, who we know, are the 11 minus, the 12 minus Judas, right? Are we together? Yes. Have I, have I already crested over the, like I've preached hard and, and been inspirational that, I know we gotta backtrack, put the thinking cap on, right? Okay, so 12 minus one, who was Judas? Right, We know in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, there's going to be another uh, disciple, apostle, uh, elected by Lot. His name is Matthias. We'll talk about him in just a minute as well. But you have the 11, and they've gone to a mountain, we talked about mountains, where Jesus had directed them to go called Galilee. And so they went ahead, if you will, of Jesus to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, Right? And so if you look at this passage of scripture, noticing that there are 11 people there, and really read into it and really consider it, most scholars believe that this was actually the context in which Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, yes, okay, the 11 were absolutely there, but there were way more than 11. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, verse 6, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once. This right here is the most probable backdrop for that appearance to take place, okay? So Paul cites this in 1 Corinthians. He then appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And to be clear, despite the fact that Paul says he appeared to brothers, we can absolutely be sure that there were some women of God present. It's a guarantee, for sure. Guarantee, for sure. Uh, reason for that is because women had followed Jesus for a really long time. Since the start of his ministry, Jesus also had women as disciples that followed him. Women also saw Jesus first after his resurrection. Do you guys remember this? And Jesus told them, hey, go tell my disciples to go to Galilee, to the mountain where I've told them to go because they're out fishing somewhere. And these women have stayed faithful. Wow. Right? We also know that women received the Great Commission as well. How do we know that? Because there were women, the Bible says, in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. So they received the same command. Hey, go back. Wait. The Holy Spirit's going to fall. Right? So we know that women were there. Women were among either the 500 or in addition to the 500. And the reason I say this is because um, women, I mean, it's kind of a sidebar, but women were some of the primary evangelists that Jesus empowered in order to get his disciples to the mountain to receive the Great Commission. We need more women preachers. We do, we need more women evangelists. I believe that. Here's why I say that, because if you look at the three distinct invitations that God gave to his disciples to get to the mountain in Galilee so that he could give them the great commission, two out of the three were done by women. it's, It's right there, Matthew chapter 26, verse 32. This was the only time that Jesus invited personally his own disciples, not through the women. So this is before Jesus' crucifixion, and he tells the disciples, despite the fact that they forget because they don't understand what he's saying, hey, I'm going to be crucified, and when I do, go to the mountain in Galilee. All right, you can look that up, Matthew chapter 26, verse 32. Then whenever Jesus resurrected and was no longer sitting in the tomb and the women showed up, there were some angels that appeared, and what did they say? Hey, Jesus is not here go tell the disciples to get to Galilee. Jesus was really, really um, passionate about getting his followers to this mountain because his message was so important. That message is the Great Commission. All right, so this is all, this is all alluding to the importance of this command. All right, on the third occasion, when God told his followers to get to the mountain in Galilee, that was Jesus personally, Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, same chapter, where he shows up and he tells the women, go get my guys. Bring them to the mountain in Galilee because I've got a really important message for them. All right, so, so Jesus empowers these women evangelists to gather the body of believers, if you will, and by any means necessary, get them to Jesus because Jesus has a really, really important message that is timeless and is urgent and is supreme, and he wants to make sure that everybody who follows him hears it. He wants every single person who says, I belong to you, to receive the Great Commission. All right? So, this Message, the Great Commission message, we know for sure, was actually one of Jesus's last messages, which makes me think that it had to have been one of his most important. I was listening to a podcast the other day called Deathbed Confessions. It just randomly showed up on my Spotify. I listened to one episode, it was kinda weird, so I'm not endorsing it, but. I, I, I thought to myself, like, huh, what people say last Tends to be the most important. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, You guys have walked with me for like three plus years. If you didn't get anything else, you gotta get this. I've given you tons of commandments, I've shown you how to operate in the power of God. But if you don't remember any of those parables, you gotta get this charge. You've got to get this commission. You've got to get this commandment because this is very, very important. So it's one of the last things I'm going to tell you before I ascend to the Father. Wow. Very important, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. So that is the context in which the Great Commission takes place. Now, if you'll indulge me a little bit longer, I would like to cite some of the scholarship around what happened when Jesus showed up, as well as suggest to you what I think happened when Jesus showed up. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay, so we have 500 people, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that showed up, 500 plus, if you will, that showed up on this mountain in Galilee. Now, they didn't have Instagram, so I don't think that they could announce, like, hey, at 2 p.m., <laughs> on the 3rd of April, Sunday, 2 p.m., Be at the mountain. You know, maybe there was some sort of collective messaging system, but I would have to think that there were many smaller groups that ascended this mountain at various times, and they were going in obedience to Jesus, saying, "Uh, we got to get to that spot because Jesus is going to show up, and he's going to show himself to us, and he's going to speak to us, and he's going to give us a message, and we don't know what he's going to say. We don't know what he's going to talk about. We don't know what he's going to give us, but we know he's going to show up because he promised that he would show up, and we have three confirmations from different messengers that he would show up, and so we gotta get up there. So hey, man, grab your, grab your friend, grab your family members. Hey, man, tell your cousin, talk to your next-door neighbor. We gotta get up that mountain, right? So th- these are some of my own conclusions as well as some of the commentators that I read. So they all get up there. I mean, imagine the scene, right? They all get up there, and, he- and even if you look, even if you look at how the story plays out, I think this is accurate. So they're all up there they're hanging out maybe they're having a picnic or something i don't know it's chilling and then jesus appears that's how i think it happened i don't think they all got up there at different times and jesus was just like peter's always late i ain't gonna start this message till peter gets here. no no i think they all gathered and then jesus majestically appears That's what I think. That's what I think happened. A lot of scholars believe that's what happened. A lot of commentators believe that's what happened. They're all gathered. And then Jesus just. They're freaking out. You know, it's like, what? This is actually the reason why I think, all right, I think the Bible tells us that some doubted. Because if you were on a mountaintop with a community of 500 people and all of a sudden this guy just shows up out of nowhere and it's like, I'm the son of God. It's like, hold on, wait just a second. You look like that carpenter. Really? This is Jesus? We just saw him on the cross. We just heard the soldiers pronounce his death. This is Jesus? We saw him wrapped up and placed in the tomb and the stone rolled over it. This is Jesus? Like, I think that's where the doubt comes from. And I don't think the doubt was coming from the 11. I think the doubt was coming from some of the 500 because the 11 had already had encounters. Jesus had already worked to dispel the doubt of the 11 when he walked through the wall and said, Thomas, you said you wanted to touch my side. Well, put your finger in there. You said you wanted to touch my hand. Go ahead. Right, Jesus had already dispelled that doubt. So I think it was really some of the 500. I think this is further confirmation that there were more people there than the 11. So Jesus shows up, and the Bible says, and they began to worship him. Come on, that's how you respond to an occurrence of the living God in Christ Jesus. Oh. You just fall on your knees. You begin to worship him, right? And and, and the type of worship that was being given to Jesus in this moment is actually really dynamic. The Greek term here is, is the word, Pros cuneo. You guys want to try that out? Pros cuneo. All right, it's a compound word. Pros, everybody say pros, which means towards. And cuneo, guess what this word means? It means to kiss. Towards as to kiss. Right? So you're, you're, you're talking about a deeply affectionate, worshipful, adoring, passionate, broken, magnificent worship that that's the response like so that's why i think jesus he just shows up man he shows up in glory he shows up in power he shows up in strength he shows up in beauty so much so that 500 people are like proskuneo which is where we get our english word prostrate yeah. what does prostrate mean look in the dictionary yeah. put your face yeah. down on the ground put your hands up and open yeah. but you're opening hey You're my superior. You're a Lord. You're God. You're mighty. You've resurrected. And you never see another time in the Gospels when the 11 are worshiping Jesus like this pre-crucifixion. You only see them proscuneo, post-resurrection, because there is a different revelation. This man is not just a minister. This man is not a pastor. He's not a missionary. This man is the son of God. We're not just listening to him teach. We are worshiping him. He is worthy of our worship. So we proskuneo. Yes. So you got 500 people. Just imagine the scene. How amazing would this be? I mean, this is like, it's like legacy conference. You better get your tickets. Yes. Let's just state that in there. In Jesus' name. Just want to call the conference. Just proskuneo. Yeah. Imagine that scene. So you got all these people worshiping, and then Jesus is like, okay, you're all here. Here's the message. Now, he didn't set it up by like, it shall be called the Great Commission. So take notes. I've got four points. But see, that's what we do when we make excuses for not obeying Jesus. We just study what he says. We don't do it. We just study it. Four points the Great Commission. Yeah, I oh, just want to make sure I got that. Okay, what does that actually mean? Okay, got that, okay. No, Jesus was like, there is a charge and it's for everybody that would follow me. Come on. For everybody. So if you call yourself a disciple, I'm gonna give you a charge. It's called the Great Commission. Now, how do we do the Great Commission? I'm gonna I'm take you through some quick points. I'm trying to move fast. Number one is go. All right, so if you want to do the Great Commission all right, because that's we're all accountable to. If you want to do the Great Commission, the first thing you're going to have to do is go. Everybody say go. go. Two-thirds of God's name is Go. G-O, D. All right, I don't know, maybe. I get that a little bit later. Go. Somebody say go. go. Now, I don't, does that sound passive to you? And we can argue all day over what he meant by go, but here's what I can guarantee, it is actionable. There's no way for you to obey Christ's command to you that we call the Great Commission by sitting idly and doing nothing about the faith you confess. No one is allowed to do that as a Christian. We've all received the same Great Commission. He said, go, everybody say go. 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 is an action. Now, this is the part that I was telling you about earlier where I'm struggling to reconcile the go of the gospel with the American church because Jesus never told the church to come and sit. He didn't say say, come and sit. He said, go, I send you. Jesus never told the sinner to go to church. Jesus told the church to go to the center. Go. Everybody say go. go. Now, why wouldn't we do this? Well, I, I think for a few reasons. Number one, we're, we're just simply apathetic about our assignment. Just to be honest, man, man, no big deal. I think it's a big deal. It's a, this is like the last sermon Jesus gave before he ascended. I think we can all agree this is a big deal. Nah, no big deal. We're apathetic about our assignment. Uh, We also may not even know that we have an assignment. But let me tell you, church, and if if this is your home church, you're just gonna have to digest this. You are in full-time ministry. You, as a Christian, are in full-time ministry. I'm not trying to be weird, I'm just trying to be honest. You are in full-time ministry. I didn't say full-time vocational ministry. You may not be called by God to make your career that of working at a church, but you are for sure called by Jesus to be in full time ministry because you are a minister. You are a king and a priest, the Bible tells us. You are a minister of reconciliation, the Bible tells us. You are in full time ministry, and not only are you called into full time ministry, you are also a missionary. Not me. No, no way. Not, nope. Yes. If you've received the great commission, you have become a missionary because you are on mission for God and with Jesus. So if your goal, like what you want to get out of church, oh man, I'm sorry to say this. But like if what you want to get out of church is I just want to come and see and come and sit and passively observe, this ain't the church for you. I'm I'm, I'm being honest, because that's not the goal of the gospel, that you would only observe and not become an active participant in God's plan to redeem all of humanity. Whenever Jesus said, Peter, follow me, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. What did he imply? If you follow me, you will become a worker. Maybe Peter scratches his head like, I don't really know what a fisher of men might be. Maybe he didn't, but he definitely knew what it meant to be a fisherman. And on some nights, that meant I toil all night long through the night, and I still don't have a catch. Tell me that's not evangelism sometimes. He didn't know, he didn't, he didn't know what it was going to mean, but he definitely knew that he would not be an innocent bystander simply observing Jesus do all the work. Jesus said, no, you're called into this lifestyle, you're called into this ministry, you're called into this mission, you're not just observing as, like, this passive person, like, no, you are actively engaged in my plan to crush the head of the serpent. You with me? All right, look, you're just going to have to digest that. If, if this is your home church, like, I just encourage you, don't just ingest it. I'm talking digested. I am a full time minister. I am a missionary. Everybody say, that's me. That's you. Remember, we're talking about what Jesus has commanded me to do. I think one of the other reasons why we don't go is because we want to pay someone else to do the assignment for us. I would go, but I don't really want to, so I'm going to sow 20 bucks into a missionary. That ain't going to get it done. I don't really want to go, but I do go to church, so I'm going to give in my tithe and my offering because that's what I pay the pastor to do. I know it's really quiet on that one, but listen. Sometimes we think about, like, I don't have to do any of that stuff. That's what the clergy does. I just go. Just go and sit. Are you you with me? Uh, Listen, I know this is hard. I really do, I understand, because it's hard because it breaks us out of our traditional shells. It does, it does, because for so long, at least in our country, this is what church has become. And this is what it means, is that you go to it and you're a part of it, and that's amazing, but that's it. Listen, the people who work here or the people who speak or the people who lead worship, they're not the only ministers. We are all ministers. We have different responsibilities. We have different tasks. We have different, different commands personally from Jesus. Therefore, we are all accountable to those commands. But we're all responsible to go. Everybody say go. You know, I, th- I think for some people you just don't know that you can do this and what i pray that you leave here with today is a permission slip remember how i used to get those in school this is my permission slip to go on the field trip some of us just need a permission slip to do the great commission today you're going to get the permission slip from jesus you're going to get it it's going to be in your hand in jesus name you're walking here i have permission i have authority To do the Great Commission, I get to go on the field trip. You remember how Michelle was like, hey, we don't need to be bored. This is why some of us are bored. Truly, it's like we're just not doing what God told us to do. and, And then we complain to him as though it's his fault. I've told you all the things you need to do to experience adventure with me. You're just sitting when I told you to be going. Are we together? When Jesus said go, that means you're sent. Now, here's one of the ways I I like to interpret the Bible, okay? So let me give it to you as a tip, okay? So if I'm reading the Bible and I'm confused about what God is saying, then what I do is I observe the obedience of the listeners. You get what I'm saying? What did Jesus mean by go? Well, look at the eleven. How did they respond to Jesus' command to go? Well, I looked that up, and let me share with you where the 11 went. I'm actually going to give you 13 because I'm going to include Matthias, and I'm also going to include Paul, okay? So here's where they went. Peter went to Turkey, Italy, Asia, and Rome. Andrew went to Ukraine, Russia, Greece, Turkey, and Bulgaria. These are modern uh Boundary lines. Okay, uh, John went to Asia, Greece, and Turkey. James went stayed in Israel. Philip went to Turkey. Bartholomew went to India and Iran. Matthew went to Iran. Thomas went to Iran, Afga- Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Tajikistan. India as well, Uh, James stayed in Israel, Jude went to Turkey, Iraq and Lebanon and Simon stayed in Israel, Matthias stayed in Israel and Paul went to Albania, Kosovo Montenegro, Serbia, Bosnia Croatia, Slovenia, Hungary, Italy Spain and Rome Paul was a bomb missionary right but you know why he was such a great missionary because he was obedient not because of how many countries he went to Oh, this is so good. I, I'm almost finished, by the way. Listen, I understand what time it is. But as missionaries, we used to compete as to who is the most radical. Well, I went to, the, I went to three war zones this year. Well, I'm the most radical. Well, I went to this country, therefore I'm more radical than you because you did not go. You stayed at home. You know what makes you radical? Obedience. It's not about the countries you go to. It's not about how many countries you go to. It's not about the people groups that you take pictures of and post on Facebook. It's, it's not about the orphans you hug. Like, I'm spiritual. I can do this because I was a missionary for five years, okay? So I'm not picking on anybody, but kind of. Here's what makes you radical, obedience. Obedience, obedience, right? We see that some of them, they stayed in Israel, you know why? Because that's what Jesus had called them to do. Some of them, they went to several countries, you know why? Because that's what Jesus had called them to do. You can be a missionary and never leave your home country. It's absolutely possible. You know how I know? Because Jesus never preached a sermon outside of Israel. And we know he was the greatest missionary that ever walked planet Earth. He left heaven to come to Earth. And so if you feel disqualified because you're like, I'm just a soccer mom. You're like me and you're like, you're repenting. I've got a minivan. You're in full-time ministry. You are a missionary. You're a missionary, and there are people groups that God is sending you into to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. See, we have to get this understanding because it's not just the people who go to foreign fields. And listen, if you're like, oh, I'm a missionary, I'm better than everybody, especially everybody in America because I went to all these countries. Well, if you did not do the Great Commission, you're only doing tourism. (laughs) Well, I'm the most radical because I live abroad. Yes, I know, it is hard to live abroad. But if you're not doing the Great Commission, you're just an expat. What makes us missionaries is doing the Great Commission, not the context in which we do it. This is so important. we got to get this, church. It's so, so important. Because, listen, listen, I've been around so many missionaries. I've lived on the mission field. You guys know it. I've been around them. And for some of them, doing missions more effectively looks like this. Take your butt home. You need to go home. Well, I'm a world changer, and I'm going to change Africa. You haven't even changed your neighborhood. You haven't even tried. I'm the best. I'm the most anointed. No one even knows you're a Christian at your high school. Like, what is the problem? There's some sort of weird disconnect we have about this, and we need to understand that we can all do the Great Commission so long as we're all obedient. And if for one of us, that means going to Africa. And for another one of us, that means going to India. And for another one of us, that means going to Brazil. Where we lay hands and we sin and we say, good job, way to be obedient. And if for another one of us, we're like, I'm supposed to be right here, raise these kids, make sure they get to soccer practice on time. Because I also have a Bible study with all the soccer moms where we get together and we pray over our kids before the game. And I'm making decisions. Yeah, we're all doing it. We got to stop this comparison and all this gift projection as though we're more anointed than the other person because what God's called me to do is different than what he's called you to do. And in order to feel better about myself, I have to condemn what you're doing. if you ever really got spiritual, you'd be doing this. What, What if that's not what God called them to? Leave them alone. Stop. Jesus said, go, make disciples of all nations. Okay, so now you might be thinking, okay, well, in order to make disciples of all nations, Jesus said nations, he means nations. Well, that word there, you probably know this, is the word ethnos. Ethnos is not just the word nation, but it's also the word people group. It's also the word race. It's also the word culture. So when you think about, okay, I'm going to do the Great Commission, it's not about going to a foreign nation per se, although it could be. It's really about what people am I called to in this life to obey Jesus and make disciples? For some of us, maybe you're an athlete. What if your people group is athletes? What if you're really passionate about, you know, your home chef or home cook or whatever. And like your people group is gonna be people who love to make amazing food at home. What if you play Fortnite? That's me, Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, I witnessed the little kids all day. Oh, take that ale, take that ale. Hey, you know, Jesus loves you though. He loves you. You don't want no smoke. The Lord lives, he's alive. Listen. <laughs> when, when Jesus says go, you, you gotta remember this, church. It's not just about where, it is to whom. Yeah. Yeah. This, this romanticism around the nations. Oh, I gotta go somewhere else, I gotta go somewhere else. It's, it's like this grass is greener on the other side type of mentality. I gotta go somewhere else, I gotta go somewhere else, why? Why? Is it because you're trying to run away from everybody who knows the truth about you? Is it because you're trying to run away from accountability? Are you trying to run away because your preference in being covered is nobody close enough to tell you what to do? It's not about where you go, it's about to whom you go to. Listen, the nations are wonderful. I love other countries. I've I've gone to several, you know, we want to go to Europe for our anniversary. We like other nations. But Jesus is not passionate about the soil. He's passionate about souls. The nations are not about geographical territories. They are about people who live within those geographical territories that need Jesus. So Jesus said, go. Everybody say, go. go. He says, make disciples. Everybody say, make. make. Now, how do you make a disciple? Well, there's a sequence to this. I'm almost done, I promise. There's a sequence to this, and it starts with go. Everybody say, go. go. So if you don't go, how are you going to make? So You have to go if you're going to make. All right, so make disciples. How do you make a disciple? Here's baptize and teach. Everybody say, Baptize. If you haven't been baptized, I want to invite you to be baptized. Jesus said be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? It's not just about them getting dunked in water. It's about them being immersed in water as well as the revelation that the Father has sent the Son. That the Son has become my redemption and that the Spirit has taken up residence in me as habitation. It's more than just a Dunkin' water. And then he says, I want you to teach them. Teach them what? I just told you all that you're in full-time ministry and you're like, I would preach, but I don't have any content. Well, Jesus gave you your content in advance, all of his commands. Yes. So, so you actually don't have to worry or wonder what you should minister about. Because all the commandments are there, crystal clear in the gospels. So you just use that. And when you get to the end of all of his commandments and you've taught them thoroughly, you just start over. You know why? Because as we disciple people, our image as to whom we're serving them to become is not me or you or any of us. It is Jesus. You know how a sculptor looks at a picture and is like, we're not looking in a mirror when we disciple people. We're looking at Jesus. We're saying, how can I help this person become more like him? Not how can I control this person to become more like me? That's discipleship, so I gotta close. I know we're out of time, but it was so important, I think, for us to talk about this today, and I wanna leave you with this, mission possible. Mission possible. With man, it is impossible, but with God, nothing shall be Impossible. Now, remember, we talked about mountains earlier. Jesus on mountains, Sermon on the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration, Mountain in Galilee, giving the Great Commission. Well, before then, Jesus was actually taken up on a mountain by the tempter whose name is Satan, and he was shown what? All the nations. Satan said, Jesus, see all these nations here? You can have them. I'll give them to you. They're under my control. I got the keys from Adam. They're under my authority. I'll give them to you, which he was lying. Just bow your knee and worship me, and I'll give you all of the nations. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. That's not the way in which I am supposed to go. I've got to get to the cross. Goes to the cross, goes to the grave, resurrects on the third day, and then sometime later finds himself back on a mountain. And similarly to the enemy... You know, whenever he was like, hey, look at all the nations. Jesus looks at all the disciples. He said, hey, look at all the nations. They're mine. They all belong to me. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. See, you know, Satan tried to tempt me to try to get me to shortcut the pro- Nope. No, no, because that was an illegal way of apprehending the nations. Wouldn't have happened. But now... That I've gone through what I've gone through. I've got the nations. They all belong to me. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, meaning both the spiritual and the natural realms. And I am going to impart those resources unto you so that you might accomplish this assignment. See all those nations? They belong to me. Go into them. Never before in human history has so much resource been put behind an army. Mission possible. All authority. And here's what Jesus says. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know what that means? The Great Commission is a co-mission. Meaning, anytime we step out to obey Jesus and do the Great Commission, he steps with us. The Great Commission is not a lonely endeavor. It's an intimate one. Every step of the way, I'm with Jesus. Every step of the way, I'm with Jesus. Every step of the way, I'm with Jesus. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you every step of the way i'm with jesus let's stand i know we've been here for two hours and two minutes today but i'll borrow a phrase from michelle i think we actually started five minutes late so we're under two hours (laughs) 10 minutes late okay praise god you know she said it takes some time to worship we're not putting a time on the presence of god i like that i'm gonna go ahead and steal that for next time i preach longer but it's important. And, um, you know, as I mentioned to you guys, I was, you know, woke up this morning with, like, this hesitation and frustration. Like, oh, the Great Commission. Okay, again, God. Talk about it again. But what I want to ask you today is that, that you would, that we would, that I would, that we collectively as a community, that we would all take upon a mission field. Yes. This, is how, this is how we're closing today. Just close your eyes real quick. Jesus said nations, but we know that means cultures or spheres or people groups. I want you to get where your mission field is in your mind. Is that mothers? Is that fathers? Is that athletes? Is that people in government, people in education? Is that people in business? Is that entrepreneurs? What's your mission field? What is the mission field that Jesus is giving you? Because today he is saying, go. And in that mission field, he is saying, make disciples. And the way that you do that is by baptizing and teaching. If you make a disciple, baptize him. If you're not sure how, get him here. We'll baptize him. If you make a disciple, teach him. Who is God calling you to go to and to teach the commandments of Jesus? That's what we're praying about. So, Jesus, I pray that as each and every person in here receives... A nation, a people group, a culture, a race, a sphere of society, a particular type of person, Lord, whomever that is, Lord, I pray you'd give them courage, give them passion, give them help from the Holy Spirit to go and to proclaim God's truth to them, to love them into their purpose and bring them into the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen and amen. Can we just give the Lord a big clap of praise? We thank you, Lord tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, make sure you log into the store and give us a good review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Join us again next week for another powerful word.